0: Have you tried the Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme yet? It replenishes minerals, B vitamins, and electrolytes that are lost daily through sweat, urination, occasional diarrhea, and exercise. A Live and La Vida low-carb show listener named Tricia writes... I listened to your podcast on the iPhone app and have enjoyed your sponsor Jigsaw Health where you talked about the electrolytes lemon lime for $10 off with coupon code LLVLC. My feet and legs cramp up often even though LCHF two and a half years and then keto half year after that for three years total eating well. I wondered if the electrolytes would help, so I used your coupon code. First night of drinking the mixture all day, no cramps, slept well, and every night since. Just reordered the three-pack this time, saving more money and using your code once again. Thank you, it really tastes good and works great. I use twice the amount of water they suggest, or it's too sweet for me, so I put a scoop in 16 ounces or half a scoop in eight ounces instead of one in eight. So join Trisha. get Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme, head on over to lowcarbelectrolytes.com and definitely use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to save $10 off of your order. Again, it's called Jigsaw Electrolyte Supreme. Wouldn't you love to find a nut that is low in carbs, high in fat, and perfect as a healthy ketogenic snack? Well, look no further than Peely Nuts. That's spelled P-I-L-I. Go to eatpeelynuts.com and use the coupon code LLVLC at checkout to get 10% off of your order of these one-of-a-kind keto nuts. Peely Nuts are higher in fat than any other nut out there with a whopping 23 grams of total fat. And they have the fewest carbohydrates at just 1%. One gram per one ounce serving. Plus, these delicious nuts are loaded with a full array of vitamins and micronutrients, including vitamin E, magnesium, potassium, manganese, calcium, phosphorus, and more because of the mineral-rich volcanic soil that they're harvested from in the Philippines. If you've never tasted a Peely Nut, you'll be pleased to know that it's got a soft bite and a buttery flavor unlike any other nut you've ever put in your mouth. EatPeelyNuts.com is the original company to bring sprouted peely nuts to the united states and are also the first to offer them sprouted in coconut oil for added healthy saturated fats i absolutely love peely nuts and i think you will too try them for yourself by visiting eatpeelynuts.com and don't forget to use my special coupon code llvlc at checkout to get 10 off of your order give them a taste and you'll see there's no better nut than a peely nut. Coming up in episode 1186, Jeff Boast connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place.
1: You're listening to the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world.
0: This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author. You're like the LL Cool J of Podcast, Jimmy Moore. Today's featured audio is from the 2016 On Nutritional Ketosis and Metabolic Therapeutics Conference that took place in Tampa, Florida earlier this year. Sign up now at metabolictherapeuticsconference.com for next year's Tampa event coming February 1st through the 4th, 2017.
1: Thank you. Uh, Greetings from the world of neurosurgery. Uh, I am not a dietitian or a dietary specialist, and neither is Dr. Maroon, who is my partner at the uh, University of Pittsburgh. However, um, your uh, information on ketosis and ketogenic diet has made its way to neurosurgery, and we're about the most conservative group of any subspecialty uh, which is surgery and then of that subspecialty we're, neurosurgeons are generally more conservative so uh, I we thank you for getting the word out and our history doesn't go back to the 1800's but more or less the last five or six years but we're going to try to bring you up to date on some new applications for the ketogenic diet relative to the treatment of uh, glioblastoma multiforme. So this is our day job in neurosurgery you can tell which one's Dr. Maroon and which one's me um, over in the corner there but this is a malignant glioblastoma multiforme and I think just from if you've never seen one uh, you can see how ugly it really is it's a very ugly tumor in the sense that it's hemorrhagic uh, this is in a, a part of the brain that basically it could have gone on for a long period of time before the patient had symptoms doing its damage Finally the patient will have a seizure or some other uh, weakness perhaps, some confusion, loss of vision, and you get the MRI and you see a giant tumor. Uh, it's basically when a patient comes into our office with this, we look at them and we are our heads drop down and we get very quiet because we know the end of this story. And it's a sad story. And I'm going to talk about how neurosurgeons have been hitting their heads against the wall for since the beginning of time treating this, and we've really not done anything for it uh, for decades and decades. Glioblastoma, just a little background for those of you who are not familiar with it, it's by far the most common of the malignant glial tumors. Uh, It makes up about 15 or so percent of primary brain tumors. It increases with age. It's more associated with being elderly. Uh, Male, slightly more uh, associated with being a male. It is lethal. As I said, it is a death sentence in today's day and age. It grows rapidly. It often has a lack of symptoms. Uh, The brain is remarkable in its ability to adapt to something in it that can be as massive as the last picture you saw. And this causes a delay in diagnosis. So as I said, whether they present with a seizure or some other focal neurologic deficit, by the time we get the MRI, uh, it's always too late. Uh, Treatments uh, are varied, and I'll go over what those are, the standard of care, which I'll discuss several times, Uh, but the treatments kill surrounding cells. We know chemotherapy, we know whole brain radiation, other modalities that are used, have to kill a large expanse of the brain cells in order to kill the malignant cells. So the healthy cells die with the cancerous cells. And this tumor specifically is not marginated, which means it has fingers or like spider web tangles that go out into the normal brain, and it cannot be completely surgically resected. So that means despite when we're done operating, we look at the tumor bed and we see all the tumors gone and, and we, you would think we would congratulate each other that this person is now going to do well. It is not the case with this tumor because there are little fingers that spread out past the margins that can be seen and that will be the nidus for the next reoccurrence. However, the best option or the best potential for that patient to live longer is a surgical resection. So if you're able to debulk it, you can uh, improve uh, the longevity of the patient to what we'll talk about as far as some average lengths of uh, living after the diagnosis. Uh, there are some metastases associated with this, generally within the CNS, the spinal cord, but it's still fairly rare. So what is GBM? It's, it basically is a tumor that has all the right stuff as far as being a malignancy it's like almost indestructible if you remember the Terminator 2 the uh, T-1000 you hit it with all the bullets and it just came back together and that's sort of what GBM is like it cannot be killed with our conventional warfare uh, it has a multi uh, multiforming grossly formation the cells are hemorrhagic in some areas there's there's uh, palisading necrosis there's microvascular proliferation. Genetically, it continues to mutate and change. There's DNA del- deletions, amplifications, point mutations. There's growth factors that keep on pumping that cells to divide. And there's also uh, uh, chemicals that stop that normal pathway of cell death, such that the normal cellular cycle continues and continues on until uh, basically it takes over the brain. So. The classic treatments of GBM is where, what we do, and what 99% of universities and major universities and hospitals across the country and the world do, and that is the use of steroids, which can reduce the brain swelling. It has no treatment uh, whatsoever on the tumor itself, but because the brain reacts like a splinter in it, it reacts with the inflammatory process, and steroids, as you know, are a very powerful anti-inflammatory and so that can help reduce the edema associated with the tumor for symptomatic control. Uh, we also, as I mentioned, do surgery. That's what our day job is. And the idea is to debulk it. When I say complete resection, again, we, because the fingers and the spider webs are out there in the normal tissue, we can not really completely resect it. Radiation therapy is a standard for the whole head, typically. Uh, there are uh, use of gamma knife which is a very focal beam in recurrences that are done as well later on if there are rec- when there are recurrences. TMZ and other chemotherapies, however, uh, TMZ specifically can only be uh, used in about 50% of the patients that have this based on a biomarker whether it's sensitive or not. And this very expensive drug associated with significant side effects in general only adds about two and a half months to the longevity of the patient. There's a numerous experimental protocols and we're going to talk about that uh, with the uh, the adaptation of the ketogenic diet for what's been going on with treatments of GBM. And the mean survival, despite all this, is dismal, about 12 to 18 months. So we're talking about a very short survival rate with this type tumor. Uh, and uniformly, without treatment, uh, it's about three to six months. So it's, it's kind of a doom and gloom scenario. Uh, so again, we've had no major advances in the treatment of GBM for the last 50 years. And I think that you've heard recently about the incidence of cancer is dropping, survivability of cancer is dropping, prostate, lung, breast, all those other cancers. There's a lot of success in that, but this is is missing the beat. GBMs are not being cured. And this was brought to home by one of our colleagues, Dr. Doug Konziolko, who at that time was the president of the largest society of neurosurgeons back in 2007, who specifically challenged neurosurgeons all over the world who attended to do something about this tumor. Uh, As you can see, this is a slide that shows from 1965 to 2005 that we've only been able to add on average about six months of longevity. Six months is a very short period of time. So the, the idea at that time was to stimulate breakthroughs in neurosurgery and treatments and really start thinking about ways that, that we could break out of the box. And a slide further on, I'll talk about the evolution of a neurosurgeon. And basically, Dr. Maroon and myself, we, we thought about Doug's lecture, and we thought about the things that we were learning when we were talking about fish oil and resveratrol and other nutritional treatments and the idea of the synergisms that you all have brought to the table relative to the ketogenic diet. And I thank uh, Dr. Seyfried and other pioneers in this area for introducing us to this this information. So chemotherapy, it's missing the target with GBM. A lot of other cancers can be treated, uh, affecting cell division, cellular movement. Uh, responses to stimuli, transcription factors, vascular supply are all being utilized on the chemotherapy world in order to kill tumors. GBM, again, like the T1000, you can keep on hitting it, but it reforms itself and keeps on growing. Uh, There are also biologic therapies that are being used, uh, but again, one of the things that Dr. Seyfried brought to our attention, and others, many others, was the idea that we are missing the boat as far as metabolic targets. The idea of what energizes that tumor. What's the fuel, what's the battery that allows it to keep on going like the Ever Ready Bunny? So how is that tumor uh, being fueled? And this talks, This slide sort of is a, um, one much better presented by Dr. Maroon in that we, uh, Dr. Maroon went through an evolution. And uh, it, primarily what he learned was from this gentleman in the corner, Dr. David Sinclair. And he was, Dr. Brown was at a neurosurgical meeting. I was there as well a number of years ago when Dr. Sinclair, uh, at the meetings, we generally had people come in that would uh, occasionally talk outside the field of neurosurgery, sort of a blending of different ideas in order to stimulate neurosurgery, look in new directions for treatments. And he started talking about the idea of the sirtuin genes that he had discovered and the idea of longevity and calorie restriction. And these things tended to percolate with Dr. Maroon and myself finally culminating in a book which we wrote uh, several years ago called The Longevity Factor, how resveratrol and red wine uh, activate genes for a longer, healthier life. So this sort of, Dr. Dr. Maroon's mind and my mind were primed at that time to think a little bit about nutrition and how that might interact with things like glioblastoma multiforme. And it goes back to something that most of us are aware of, the idea of evolutionary adaptability, that we have an adaptability evolutionary built into us relative to our metabolism. And back on the savannas, we were, there were no grocery stores. So we would feast when we killed something, but then when there were long periods of famine or starvation. So what happens during calorie restriction? What happens when we're on the savannah where we're not eating? Obviously we store our calories as fat and then we mobilize them when we're starving in order to keep maintain our energy. So Clive McKay uh, took this a little bit further back in the 30s and many of you I'm sure are familiar with this, the idea of calorie restriction and this is one of the first studies that looked at it but he was able to restrict calories to a group of rats by about 40%, and they lived 40% longer. This was a fact. How that happened was not known for many, many years until a fellow by the name of Lenny Guereni and David Sinclair got together, and they looked at yeast cells, and they decided to lower their uh, calories. and they also found at that same time the same thing that happened with uh, Clive McCade's rats, and that they lived longer. And they were able at this point in time, uh, with the level of science that we had available, to actually find out why. And what they discovered was the CERT2 uh, genes, or as we'll talk about later, the CERTUINT genes, the idea that a gene could be activated during the time of calorie restriction, and we subsequently called those longevity genes as a, as a slang, if you will, but the idea that they long longevity during that time of famine. So there were long periods of famine and the body would actually change biochemically. There were things that were happening that actually were causing con- conservation of that body during time of famine. And one of some of those things were they were reducing oxidative stress they were killing off uh, dead cells. There were metabolic and hormonal changes. So all these things were happening. They discovered specifically the sirtuin genes. There's other genes that now have been discovered and other pathways that are activated during the time of calorie restriction.
0: Are you a fan of wine but hate the high sugar content in most wines? Then allow me to introduce you to Dry Farm Wines. Visit their website dryfarmwines.com and you'll find a keto-friendly, sugar-free, carb-free, all-natural, organic, and additive-free wine. It's also low alcohol for good health and it has no negative impact on your ketone levels. Again, they're called Dry Farm Wines. Check them out, Dry Farm Wine.
1: So, calorie restriction activates the sirtuin genes, which again, underlines the molecular changes that occurred during calorie restriction. And I'm sure a number of you at this point are saying, yeah, I've heard of that, and as a matter of fact, I know people that are doing calorie restriction for this kind of benefit. Uh, there are actually a number of societies that do this routinely to try to uh, activate these genes to live longer. Uh, but basically, we evolved these. It, you know, that's not a causal relationship; they were evolved, uh, and it turned out to be a survival mechanism. Uh, again, sirtuins were able to delay apoptosis, promote cellular repair, inhibit atherogenesis, neoplasia, and neurodegeneration. So all these things were occurring during calorie restriction, as well as many other things that have been going on. And, and this is a slide that you might have seen before. That the idea of calorie restriction has many pathways and transcription factors that are activated in order to have some benefits uh, throughout the body as far as preserving it during the time of famine. So one of the early studies that uh, has taken place is the idea of uh, looking at longevity and calorie restriction in monkeys, and some of these studies you might have heard of made the news the monkeys didn't live any longer. <clears throat> in the treatment group. Those that were more severely calorie restricted didn't live longer. However, they did have significant benefits. They had lower triglyceride, cholesterol level, fasting blood sugars, and they also had a delay in age-related diseases. Uh, so there were benefits relative to oxidative stress and other factors. They did not necessarily statistically live uh, longer than the controls. Now whether uh, monkey in ca- captivity by the nature of the captivity is going to sort of live similar amounts uh, even if they're calorie restricted or not is one of the controversies with this study. Um, There was a recent uh, review in 2011 that looked at human studies uh, that had looked at calorie restriction and they found significant alterations in energy metabolism, reduced oxidative damage, improved insulin sensitivity, decreased inflammation, and numerous functional changes within the neuroendocrine system. So the idea is there are benefits, proven benefits with calorie restriction. So what happens when we're starving? <coughs> and I, again, I'm, I'm sort of the appetizer. There'll be numerous lectures tomorrow that will really go into the heavy part of uh, the use of the me- metabolic changes that occur in, uh, when you're fasting and ketosis and tumor growth and restricting tumor growth. But as you can see, we can mobilize uh, free fatty acids to make ketone bodies, which are subsequently being able to be used by the brain. So the brain uniquely can have used two energy sources. It can use glucose, or in a time of famine, lack of significant amount of uh, carbohydrates, it can switch over to a ketone-based energy source. The point is, uh, this, this goes back to uh, Dr. Warburg who's told us a long, long time ago the idea that cancer is a metabolic disease, the disruption of energy metabolism. That cancer live, can live in an aer- anaerobic environment. It does not, cannot live without glucose. So it cannot use ketones versus tumors which can use Uh, excuse me, versus normal brain cells which can use both ketones and glucose. And that's really the point of what Dr. Seafried and others have said that the idea that uniquely tumors and specifically GBM tumors as well as most other cancers cannot use the ketone bodies as an energy source. They have to have glucose. So again, what happens in calorie restriction? We lower the blood sugar. We lower the fuel to the tumor. Going back to Dr. Diamond's lecture, I agree with you, sugars are bad. And this we know not only is it bad for us, it's bad for us developing the risk of cancer or having cancer. Uh, We know that those with type 1 and type 2 diabetes have an increased risk or incidence of mortality as well as site-specific cancers. So the idea that in and of itself having hyperglycemia is a risk factor relative to developing cancer. Uh, persistent outpatient hyperglycemia is independent and associated with decreased survival in primary sex and primary section of malignant brain astrocytomas. So again, back to brain tumors itself. If you have hyperglycemia, you're going to have a worse prognosis if you have a brain tumor. So think about the, the cancer wards in America. What are the things that they're feeding people that are having chemotherapy and other cancers? sugar 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 let's have some ice cream you're not feeling well you know let's have a candy bar you know maybe you can keep that down the idea of hyperglycemia is rampant within that time frame which is probably the poison or the fuel that's that's causing these brain tumors and other type of tumors to grow going back to the idea of sugar in the savannah back in 10 20 30 40,000 years ago We ate very, very little sugar. Carbohydrates were almost unheard of as far as naturally occurring. The 1830s, we increased it. By 2015, we're eating up to 150 pounds of sugar. So we're overloading right now with sugar. Sugar is growing brain cell, uh, excuse me, brain tumors. So here are the facts. Human uh, calorie restriction, starvation, we know it improves Metabolic functions it lowers our fasting blood sugar, improves insulin sensitivity, but it 's hard for people to do. has anyone ever done a significant calorie restriction in a couple of days? Oh, you neurosurgeons would never do that <laughs> and if they do it like Dr. Maroon did, he got very cranky um, so what happens during human uh, calorie restriction or starvation? We mobilize our free fatty acids to make ketones from the liver we know that ketones are an alternative energy source for the brain. Brain cells, uh, cancer, or other type of cancers, evolutionarily are younger than our cells within the human body. They exclusively metabolically use sugar for their energy source. Excessive levels of glucose, such as those people with metabolic syndrome and diabetes in our Western diet, enhances our cancer risk and mortality and morbidity. So, what do we do? This is Dr. Uh, uh from his book and a wonderful slide that he puts here where he talks about all the things that we do to treat brain tumors actually are stimulating more tumors. So we're giving radiation, which is inducing oxidative stress, and we're breaking down uh, neurotransmitters, which are toxic to the brain. We're increasing the blood sugars with uh, Decadron, which increases the amount of sugar in our body. All these things are the exact opposite. Basically, what we, re, re, uh, he co-authored a paper with us, we're adding fuel to the fire. So our current standard of therapy is adding fuel to the fire for a uh, typical brain tumor. And you can see here these different areas where it are coming in and causing worsening of the patient rather than better. So this is one of Dr. Seafried's earlier papers talking about animals. This past year we wrote a paper that talked about all the new human studies that are now being done using calorie restriction and ketosis for human cancers. There aren't many of them. As I said, we're talking about maybe 10 years worth of history. We're in our infancy. This is just starting up. More and more information is going to be coming, but right now we're very low on the information, uh, but we hope to gain more. Glutamine is a normal neurotransmitter in the brain. However, when released extracellularly, it can become toxic. So radiation, chemotherapy, the surgery itself releases this neurotransmitter, can cause significant problems with normal brain tissue. Other inflammatory cytokines are released, again, glucocorticoids stimulating the increasing amount of blood sugar, which again is feeding the tumors. Uh, so again, this is from Dr. Seyfried's, uh one of his articles, the idea of managed growth. We want to increase the ketones, lower the blood sugar in order to maintain a managed growth of that tumor, to slow it down. This is uh, a f- friend of ours, actually from the University of Pittsburgh, his mother, uh, Giulio Zaccoli, who placed his mother on a, a ketogenic diet for approximately about two and a half months. And the top, you can see the brain tumor, and the bottom, you can see it's gone. So this really stimulated us to get the ball rolling, and many others within the field. Uh, he wrote this paper back in 2010. Uh, we have another article here that talked about the use of uh, ketogenic diet in multiple different types of cancer in 16 patients from Europe. This was a paper that was recently released from our colleague Dr. Schwartzen uh, at Michigan State who did two patients and one of the things I like to point out in the title, IRB approved. This is very controversial in the I, in IR, for IRBs and treatment. There's a standard of care, radiation surgery, chemotherapy, use of decadron to not do that. Uh, this study was done on patients who had failed treatment, and as you can see, they had fairly poor results. To place someone on a ketogenic diet uh, is difficult in and of itself. They were already late stage. They did not have any significant change in the size of the tumors with this. So right now, at the University of Pittsburgh, and Dr. Champ tomorrow, who is speak- one of the keynote speakers, will discuss a study we're going to do at the University of Pittsburgh trying to lessen the burden of calorie restriction by using 2-DG. It mimics glucose, can lower the blood sugar, hopefully cause a little bit less torture to the patient by reducing the amount of um, glucose level but allowing them to have a little more car- carbohydrates. And this is a study we're going to be doing here shortly, hopefully in the spring of this year. So I didn't have much time, but hopefully it got a little of that. Do I have time for two questions? Two, any questions? Yes. Hi. Hi. Nice talk. Thank you. Uh, actually, it's not a question; it's a comment, and that is that. Um, in terms of the calorie restrictions, while well, the Irish get very, very upset about that, uh, some of them do anyway. Uh, when you're working with a registered dietitian that's working directly with the patients and following glucose and ketones, very often the patients are calorie restricted, but it's because that's what it takes to get the key ketones of glucose where they need
0: to be. But
1: you don't have to say that
0: because it's not like every patient is reduced to 80 percent. And that makes everybody happy. Good point. One more question. Um, you know, this is from the questions. So, uh, I have um, an anaplastic astrocytoma, and I know many people that have uh, GVFs. And I've uh, had very high success uh, making a decision to. Uh, Transition to a very uh, high fat diet, low carb diet, ketogenic diet. In fact, as a patient, I think that more needs to be done in terms of uh, sharing uh, research with patients, especially in in metabolic therapy. So I really love this conference for that. But uh, the, and I do agree that. uh, the standard of care really does put fuel on fire. However, um, I think it's also important to note that I know many people have had the standard of care and have done the ketogenic diet, and the ketogenic diet has actually improved their outcomes dramatically.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. And I just want to preface this by saying, it doesn't, as you said, people can be educated and can do it on their own, certainly outside of IRBs, but we always recommend some sort of physician uh, supervision relative to it because of some interactions that may occur. So I think it's, it's prudent to you know talk to your physician, but if, if you have a good cooperating physician and you're willing to do it, I think it's, uh, it's worth it. Can I take one more?
0: So um, working in the field, back I'm not sure if this is where you guys are focused, but we know the IDH1 mutation, which is very common, right? The most of these glue less common. is this driving a male conversion or this conversion? a list conversion of two hydroxyglurate. I'm sorry, but well, to hydroxybutyrate, which we're now finding is the country metabolite. you can take this this molecule to our and literally put it on non-metastatic tumor like cells and convert it And it turns out we just discovered it in breast cancer as well, to other cancers, even though they did not have the IDH1, IDH mutation. So it kind of maybe bows to the concept that maybe this type of k check diet would push that pathway in a different way, away from warm metabolism to something else and, and not reduce that we call them aqua Have you
1: seen anything along those lines? I can't say I have, and Dr. Seyfried may be able to comment on that at his lecture, but I'm not familiar with that. Okay. Can I just jump in just to answer this question? So this IVH1 mutation is a he calls it. it's called a reductive paroxidation. So my can of you start reversing... From um, from glutamine and from carbohydrates. And interestingly, shutting uh, down this uh, uh, IDH production does not necessarily have any good patients. Uh, if you look at the uh, AJO uh, clinical trial, they just failed. So obviously, these genomics are not as efficient as disease drivers as unfortunately patients and physicians think. What this reaction what this reaction does is, the original diet decreased uh, which is the epigenetic on-pro-isotope. So from multiple metabolites, we're going to isotopes, which actually made these uh, efforts more clear and clarified as far as how uh, the metabolism connects with this genomic onco metabolite. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow but of the and so direction look forward to it thank you
0: <laughs> coming up next time on the Living and La Low Carb Show we'll have a lecture from the 2016 metabolic therapeutics conference featuring Dr. Laszlo Boros. Get show notes for today's episode at the And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live and Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>
1: Disc of Light.